Welcome to the Senya Happy Hour, where you get one hour of learning in less than 30 minutes. Hello, everyone. Today we have an award winner in the house. We interviewed Toby Tomlinson Baker, and with more than 12 years of experience as a special educator, Toby currently teaches with Los Angeles Unified School District. Since becoming a doctoral student at Pepperdine, she has become a research assistant for IC4, which is a global media making company. Ms. Baker began investigating the perception and academic success of post-secondary students with disabilities and best teaching practices for higher education faculty. And that's her dissertation topic. She has presented her doctoral work nationally at the White House, to Congress, and the Department of Education. She has also presented globally in China on college advocacy for students with disabilities and families in Southeast Asia. And now to those awards. She has had the honor of receiving the Learning Disability Association's National Harrison Sylvester Award for her research and Chad's 2018 Educator of the Year. Toby holds a master's degree from Cabrini University and a bachelor's degree from Adelphi University. And now she's working on her doctorate. And that's what we're going to talk about today. Her research, best practices, and just overall understanding of university professors and students in the post-secondary world. And now on to the show. Hi, Toby. Thanks for being on today's podcast. Thank you very much for having me. Oh, you bet. I'm so excited to talk about your research. So you're currently working on your doctorate and your thesis is entitled Support for Students with Disabilities, How Awareness and Accommodations Differ Across Faculty Members Within the Post-Secondary Context. Say that five times fast. Yes. Huh? Actually, <laughs> um, what that means is, is how um, faculty members uh, how they differ in providing accommodations to students with disabilities and what, um, you know, all the different things that they do. That's why I chose the word differ, um, because they are, they all offer a unique um, uh, uh, purpose to the study, a vision of the study. And um, so that's why I entitled that. But basically what it is, is I want to know what higher education faculty actually know uh, about students with disabilities and, and post-secondary students with disabilities. And so that was my, the start of my, of my, um, of my study. Yeah. Well, it's such a, a big question, isn't it? And well, you, you have a statistic that I, that you wrote up in your um, bio that I thought was just astounding. It says seventy two percent of students with disabilities are dropping out. Yes, and so, so that, why? Yeah, like, why is this happening? That's it. That's the why. Is I want to reverse that. That shouldn't be happening. Students, they. This is part of what I've done. Is that um, you know here K through twelve students with disabilities. They get uh, support from their families, support from the school district, support from, um, they have an IEP. An IEP is an actual legal document that you must abide by. It's, a, it's in the law, it's in IDEA, the Individuals with Disabilities Education Act. And that's where I pinpointed, you know, as part of, part of policy is that professors don't 
get hired and say, great, I'm going to go read the law. They don't get hired, <laughs> you know, they, they get hired as a professor, woohoo! And then they, they don't go back and look at the IDEA, the ADA, HEOA, the Higher Education Opportunity Act. And um, I did my study, my, the participants in my study didn't even know about the Higher Education Act. They didn't read the law. Some of them admitted they don't even read the law. They don't know the laws and the laws directly impact your instruction in the classroom. When you're K through 12 teacher, and you know this as a special educator, any special educator knows, you gotta know the law in order to implement the law. And higher education faculty, they have a PhD and they have a really, you know, EDD or, you know, an advanced degree in biology or Spanish or, you know, diplomacy, whatever, political science, whatever it is, they have never taught. So there's a combination of not knowing adaptive pedagogy or special education and not having pedagogy, any pedagogy. Some of them have never taught at all. So those were the two areas that I really honed in on. And that was, you know, that was, that was the area of my focus for my baby. Yeah. You know, it's interesting. Um, a friend of mine who's a university professor, she attended the last Senate conference that we had. And we had um, keynote speakers like Dr. Ross Green, who talked about behavior. We had uh, Sarah Ward, who is an expert on executive functioning and strategies to help support students in the classroom. And this friend of mine attended the conference as both a parent of a, a son with um, some executive functioning deficits, I guess you would call it, um, challenges, and, and as this university professor. And she was really excited about the new learning um, and then went on to share about how frustrating it is that many of her colleagues, not all, but many of her colleagues have no training in this area whatsoever. Um, and that they make assumptions about students that they're lazy or they're making the choice. And I have data on that as well. Yeah. So yeah. It, there does seem to be a serious lack of teacher training. I think, and that's, that's the ultimate goal for me at the end of this. Um, I actually just wrote my uh, dissertation and presenting in about two weeks for my final defense. Um, so, um, and uh, I, I found that from this study, uh, the more people that I, I speak with, they all, they, well, first of all, unanimously, they all said just what you said. Uh, all of my study participants agreed, all of them agreed that they need training. They need training in adaptive pedagogy or special ed. Um, they have no training in special education. And here's what uh, the other finding is, is another, another one of them, is that from, from triangulating my data and going to not only with the participants, but I went to the institution because that's my field is institutional um, um, tra uh, training. And, um, and so uh, the, since COVID, the numbers have gone up of students with disabilities in higher education. That's been corroborated by the Office of Accessibility, 
that's been cooperated by all of my participants. And they've all said since the beginning of online learning and COVID-19, it, it's just, there's been an uptake in students with disabilities. So here you have the 72% uh, at risk of, of failing or dropping out or not going to class, not taking their tests, not, you know, whatever it is. Um, that's been enhanced because of this pandemic and they've seen it. Um, instead of having two or three students with disabilities in their class, now they've got eight or 10. So are you saying that students are recently becoming diagnosed with these learning dis disabilities? It's not, ah. they're not just diagnosed, they're reaching out for help finally, because all those kids who were, they graduate, and they do this, this is also part of my literature review, was that you know, and this is on so many students, they go K through 12 and they graduate and they're like, yay, I'm done. And then they go to college and they, they hush, don't tell them. Mm. They don't self-disclose. They don't even go to the, they don't ask for help and they figure they can do it all themselves. And that also contributes to, that's a big chunk of it is not self-disclosing, not asking for help uh, because you want to be quote unquote normal you know mm -hmm, other mm -hmm. kids that's you know obviously i'm quoting it because that's not acceptable <laughs> to say that but that's how they feel they want to be like everybody else they want to be seen as general ed and they aren't and so and they know that in their minds but on the other hand um, now all of a sudden um whatever the aunt anxiety or whatever it is it there's been an uptake in uh, students with disabilities uh, reaching out for help and registering with the uh, OSA, the accessibility departments of their campuses. And so just to help those of us in the yeah. audience understand, so once they register with that department, is an IEP created? Uh, well, that's or the other thing. It, uh, I'm sorry to, no, to interrupt, you just brought up the perfect thing, IEPs. So that was also a couple years ago, I had the opportunity to go to Washington, D.C., and I presented my data to uh, members of the White House, uh, the Education Department, and the Department of Education, and a member of Congress. And I, I told them, I said, look, K through 12, there's an IEP. It's a written document. It does not carry over, or I call it travel, traveling IEP. It does not travel to higher education. The minute that child, child, they're 18 years old. Okay, mm -hmm. so now they're an adult. They're 18 years old and they graduate from high school. The minute they graduate, that IEP vanishes. I wrote an op-ed. Get out, really? No, no. I did not know that. Oh, no, no, That's it's scary real. That's it vanishes. Crazy. I wrote an op-ed called The Vanishing IEP. And, uh, you know, it published it somewhere. Um, but uh, yeah, no, it vanished. The minute you graduate and throw the top, your hat off your head and you get that piece of paper, you, it vanishes. Then you, as a non-covered person with a disability and no parent help because your HIPAA laws get cut off, FERPA and HIPAA, um, and, and I actually, I'll send you my list of accommodations. I have a, a definitions of accommodations uh, with all my acronyms, special ed, <laughs> you know. Um, sure. FERPA and HIPAA cut off also. So that person, and, 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 and uh, you know, hopefully, and this is hope that you have a good family support, but not everybody does. Low-income students don't. So they go to college 
they have no idea what to do. First of all, they didn't read their own IEPs. Mm -hmm. They don't know what their accommodations are. That's a whole other study. I focused on the faculty. That's a whole other study of advocacy for the student and what does the student have to do. Um, so if you have a strong family, your parents are in there, they're you know fighting for you. But when you're on your own, it's a whole different story. Now, it, assuming that you make it to the Office of Accessibility, it used to be called the Disability Services or what I know, but they changed mm -hmm. it to Accessibility, make it more pleasant and acceptable, et cetera. Um, so you go, you actually make it to the OSA because somebody helps you get to the OSA and somebody helped you fill out your application and you didn't miss all those little numbers for your social security number or something. And so you got into college, you go to the OSA, you have to by law present your own paperwork or email it in yourself. And then once that happens and you get it, okay, so now you're with the OSA, they're gonna send you something that says you have to request every single semester. Now I have here, and I actually have it right in front of me, um, the differences between K through 12 is, um, you know, K through 12, you have your IEP, you have the, the teachers are all on board, you've got the school district, the parents could sue the district if there was a problem, uh, K through 12. Uh, they also, you get your services, your speech, your OT, all those things. Uh, you have support. In uh, higher ed, you have 23% instead of 98%. And, for, and that's for accommodations. Accommodations, because of the IEP, students get 98% in higher ed that, that plummets to 23. And that's why I focused on the accommodations. That's why they're failing out. And that's why uh, every day in my anger warms up inside me and I fight for my kids. So, yeah. um, and then oh. less, less than 6% get, get speech OT, any of that. It goes from getting 78% in K, uh, K through 12, you get 78% of speech OT. And you have someone in your family that probably has speech OT, PT, something. Those are practically non-existent in higher ed. Six, wow. Less than 6%. Those are the facts. So I take that and I'm looking at that person, let's say, who now is on campus and let's say they actually make it to their class. Do they sit in the back or do they sit in the front? If they have ADHD, why are they sitting in the back? Maybe they have a hearing impairment. Why are they sitting in the back? Because they're too afraid to go to this person who's their elder and is gonna give them a grade. They don't know that person. And there, they, there's intimidation and there's also a stigma attached. And I focused a lot on the stigma. Professors uh, straight up uh, in my study, they would much rather, professors straight up, love professors. I wanna be a professor someday. Straight up, according to my study, they'd rather just have non-disabled peers every semester. They well, just don't wanna teach. It's easier, right, in their, in their viewpoint. Yeah. Um, but as we all know, when we plan for our students with disabilities, we're actually, in fact, supporting all of our students yes. in the classroom. Yes. Um, it's Inclusion. best practice. Inclusion. Yep. Mm -hmm. So, yeah. And um, you've got well, universal design, which we always yeah. go back to. That's right. So some of the things that we found that I found, and I'll just, you know, share some of the, uh, not the, 
results, but the suggestions. So here, the you know the suggestions for first of all, um, the the relationship with your professor. That's ultimately like the biggest thing. Is um, I'm kind of an in your face kind of girl. I just am, you know, if, if somebody hates me, that's why they hate me. So because I will get in your face and tell you, okay, this is what I need. I need this. Um, you know, if there's somebody in the seat that I need to sit in, guess what? I'm going to go right up to their face <laughs> and move. So, um, and when I, you know, so I have a learning disability as well. Um, I was diagnosed like in the eighties. And then when I was 40, I was diagnosed with ADHD as an adult. So oh, that's okay. a whole other paper again, <laughs> kinds of, you know, um, but with my experience, I would actually go to the professors and tell the professors, this is what I need. This is what I, so I was very active, but not everybody has my personality. Not everybody has, uh, the, the grit and, uh, perseverance that I have. So, um, and, and just the fact that I knew that I needed my school came first uh, making friends and being cool. Didn't, I mean, I was, I knew I wasn't cool, so I was okay with it. So, um, you know, I just, I'm just not, I'm not cool. So, um, but that impacted, you know, that again, goes back to, should I just sit in the back and be okay with it and not say anything because I want to fit in. Yeah. So students will do that and then miss a whole lesson that they need because they didn't, they want to fit in. It's more important to fit in than go to get a good grade mm -hmm. to be successful. Or advocate for themselves. Yep. yep. So huh. what professors can do, so Mike, um, just to um, really quickly, um, they should have, they should require, I, you know, this is suggestions from, you know, other faculty is, you know, have, first of all, they should have training embedded in the employee contract. That was one suggestion. Mm -hmm. These are all suggestions. Um, you know, you could have, instead of just having a lot of campuses, just have one accessibility person on campus. Uh, some of them have maybe two or three or four, maybe five, uh, but there's usually just one. And with the study that I did, there's one with five, four people underneath her. And they said, why can't they have a, 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 a full-time disabilities expert like you and me on campus uh, in the division so they can shoot an email or make a phone call and they don't have to bug this one person. I had a, a professor tell me that she called the OSA every day for three weeks in a row because she had a student online during, during COVID. Uh, mm -hmm. She had a student with need and she was calling the OSA for three weeks. And even though you would think, gosh, why was she calling the OSA? What's, you know, what's wrong with her? What's wrong with the student? I think she felt that she could have remedied, you know, this, there could have been a remedy of, of having somebody else that she could have asked for help aside from this one person that she sure. was bugging and bugging. Well, it's so important not to feel alone. Um, and that's just and to it. Bounce ideas off others. Absolutely. And so that was goes to another participant that, you know, another professor uh, and one of my participants said there should be. Uh, an annual collaborative adaptive pedagogy conference. I thought that was fabulous. That instead of, at, at, and this goes back to the universities, I don't think the universities have enough uh, pedagogy training in special education itself. They have a training on diversity. Uh, there are, you know, colleges that have diversity training now that we have Black Lives Matters. They have not included special education in that. In the inclusive diversity. Mm -hmm. 
Yeah. They have all kinds of stuff for addressing that mm -hmm. area of diversity, but they've still left out um, special education. And so that's another thing I kind of- um, Right, rally, rally cry. <laughs> and then uh, just one other thing that I'll say is um, to have, so we know that they need training, but they should also have um, fun things like um, guest speakers and have people with disabilities come back and share their stories because that makes them feel good. If you get a professor and mm -hmm. you, you know what, I was in Dr. So-and-so's class and he just made this most wonderful experience. That's why I'm so successful. They love that teacher, you know, teachers yeah, yeah. love that stuff. So to have their shining star who has a disability to come back and, and share that, that's what some of the other things they said. And then, you know, some of the, just uh, one more thing that a professor, um, self-efficacy I found, which is true, professors across the board say, oh, I don't know how to teach those kids. Mm -hmm. I don't know how to teach, I don't teach special education. I don't teach disabilities. I don't want them to say that anymore. The surefire way to fix that is to train them. Just yeah. like you said, hit the nail on the head. They need training. So I want them to have the self-efficacy and the, you know, the confidence to be able to say, wait a minute, I, duh, I do know how to teach these kids. I was yeah. I know how to do this. I'm, I can do it. And then you have some professors who say, you know, they, they might, you know, feel like I have a PhD. Of course I can do this. And then they get there. Um, and then they don't do it. So they, mm -hmm. they go to the trainings, but they don't bring what they learned from the training back to the classroom. And I had that with a, a professor uh, admitted to me that he went to a training and then said, well, but you know, I, we learned about closed captioning for, for hard of hearing students, but I didn't know how to do that. So I just didn't do it. And that was five years ago. And I've just never done that with the kids, even though I'm supposed to. Mm -hmm. I, I said, <laughs> dude, you should have done this five years ago. <laughs> so right. I'm laughing about it. And he said, well, I don't know what to do. And I said, you need to go back and ask for help and say, you know what? I didn't get it the first time. I know I need to serve these kids. What do I do? They, I think a lot of professors feel like it's extra work. Well, that. that may have been an ego issue as well. Like I have a doctorate. Why can't I figure out how to do closed captioning? <laughs> That's true. That's true. That's absolutely true. So, yeah. uh, well, there's so much. This is such a big thing oh, to yeah. change. I was discussing um, your work with my husband earlier, and he said, Oh, gosh, getting a bunch of university professors to change that mindset. Maybe we're better <laughs> off. Maybe we're better off training the students on how to kind of like game the system. And I think it, it's kind of both, right? Because you have to teach our kids how to um, self advocate for sure. Um, self-disclose. Yes. And I, but I don't want it to be a bully situation. And, you know, when I started the study and I said, I'm, I'm investigating faculty, the faculty got very, um, standoffish. Like I was sure. at them. and right. I said to them, but you know, someday I want to be a faculty. So why am I ganging up on the people that I want to help? So right. I, I'm not ganging up on anybody or, or attacking anybody. I want to support them so that, you know, and I don't want to make them feel, you know, belittled or like I'm attacking their diploma or anything like that at all. Um, I think there's growth mindset, just like you said, it's a mind, there's a growth mindset and a fixed mindset. You know, I think once they're like, I'm a PhD, I've reached the top. 
and that yeah. they stopped growing. And I'm like, Mm-mm, you don't know how to teach special ed. You have a lot of learning. <laughs> yeah. So, yeah. Yeah. And I mean, I, I think it's, it's, it's not just university professors. It's, it's a lot of our general ed teachers, we, they go into one um, focused area, a math or the sciences or any, any really. And that's their focus. And so they'll say, well, I'm not a special educator. And um, at Senya, we like to say, well, everybody is a special educator. (laughs) Because we teach the kids that are in our classroom. Mm -hmm. And and that is our duty. That is what we are called to do. And so we have to teach the kids that are there. And we want to teach the kids that are there. So we are all special educators. Yeah, thank you. That's exa- that sums up my whole dissertation. <laughs> yeah, truly, because that's what you you hit. You got it. Because the the professors are in trained in one area, and it's and I will even say they don't always want to teach students with disabilities. They just clearly want to teach their topic, and that's it. And they have to know they can't teach everything the same way. That's mm-hmm. one thing I've always said is, you know, it's one thing to prepare for the test at the end or the paper at the end and you, you know, you have to, but there's also um, all throughout the semester, if somebody's doing something the same way, every a PowerPoint, every single time, it's PowerPoint, PowerPoint, mm-hmm. PowerPoint, PowerPoint, um, with no other activity, you have to change it up, but you have to think of different things. I did speak to a, a science professor one time and she said she was, because they're all at home now, they're in the kitchen blowing things up and using their, you know, she brought beakers for the, the kitchen and they're making, the, I mean, so she said, and she, she's a science teacher and she's doing theater. She does theater with them and acts out the different, you know, molecules. And I mean, it's, it's ridiculous, but it's so funny. And she has them doing art and because everything's online, she said it's made her more creative. And she said, that's how she reaches her students with special needs. Ah, oh, that's amazing embrace creativity i love it and that's a fantastic way to end today bring this to a close so toby thank you so much for your time today and congratulations to you on almost being at the end yes um you'll have to keep us updated oh thank you we can change your title to dr toby baker (laughs) thank you (laughs) (laughs) oh thank you yeah, I appreciate this very much. And, um, you know, if we, if we reach somebody and they learn something from this, then that's, 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 you know, wonderful. That's my goal for every day is to help somebody. So, yeah. So Great. thank you very much for having me. Thank you. Thanks for stopping in to our Senya Happy Hour. Don't forget to head over to senyainternational.org slash podcasts and check out our show notes from our discussion today. We at Senya hope you are enjoying these podcasts. There is so much to explore and we're at the very beginning, so feel free to drop us a note and let us know what you'd like to hear more about during your next Senya Happy Hour. Until then, cheers!